Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shallow Dives, uh, episode seven, quarantine movie cast. Uh, Christian, we have a new list of six films that we're going to watch. We're, we're what? Uh, I don't know how to do math. 24 films in? Sounds uh, about right. Yeah. That's a lot of films. And I know we do like a little like, oh, well, we watched 20 films. That's a lot. It's like 24 films. That's a substantial uh, since we started doing this in, in March. Um, but glad to be back with you uh, to be talking about our next uh, four films here. Um, I'm going to kick it over to you, man. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we watched these things, so I might be a little bit fuzzy, but uh, what's your what's your first pick? Yeah, man, let's start uh, Let's start with The Light because I, I, I know the second film I'm going to have a lot to say about because I was like, holy shit, floored by that movie. Uh, it, was yeah. one, cause it was one of the movies I picked because I wanted to see it. Um, but, but let's start with this, man, just so we can give everyone a refresher course. I picked Broadway, Danny Rose, and Five Easy Pieces. Uh, you picked Marjorie Prime and Waves by Trey Edward Schultz. Yes. Um, I'm going to be honest, man. All like American films, which is like different, <laughs> or at least they're in English, I'll say that. Uh, but, but, but a really good eclectic mix, I got to say, in terms of like, oh, this is weird, high concept sci-fi. This is like an old love letter, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, but, uh, well, we'll have our little discussion and everything, but I'm just right from the jump, uh, I'm assuming that we both liked all of these movies based on what you just said. Yeah, um, yeah like a really good list this time. Not that we've had ever a bad episode of this i don't think or like episodes where like it was fully not enjoyable but this is like i think i told you before but this might be my favorite of your picks mm. so far. well well let's um, let's let's not bury the fucking lead then because that makes me very excited the first film i'm going to pick is broadway danny rose by woody allen a film that i described to you as if i can't get you with this one i'm not gonna get you so yeah. uh and i and i really felt that when i recommended it to you i had seen it five years ago and remembered really liking it but hadn't revisited it in a in a little bit so when i rewatched it i was like oh wow like so much yeah. to like of it for me. It's a 1984 Woody Allen film. Uh, just to give a little context when the, when the paint was drying, uh, he had kind of, this is the film he did right after Stardust Memories. Um, so this is him kind of retreating back into his comedic shell, a little bit lighthearted after he kind of struck out with critics by doing something a little bit different. Because the whole Stardust Memories thing is like he's, he's stepping away from comedy uh, a little bit like as that character or as that yeah character director that he's playing. He's like, hey, um, I want to do something different. You know, I've been doing comedy this whole time. Or, you know, this is my shitty Woody Allen. I guess I'll yeah. be an ongoing because <laughs> you keep recommending Woody Allen. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, this was definitely a very light, uh, fun, breezy uh, comedy in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if I can just set it up very, very quickly, because it, it's the thing I could say about it is it follows the radio days feeling of this just kind of sweetness that's pervasive throughout the whole thing. You know what I mean? Even if the story itself is like a little wacky, but it's wacky by design, right? So Danny Rose is the Woody Allen plays the titular Danny Rose, who it's kind of a it's a weird framing device because we don't know when the actual story that we see takes place. I mean, contextually, you can figure out it's like probably in the late 60s or something like that. But the movie starts at the Carnegie Deli, the world famous fucking Carnegie Deli, like, um, yeah. which I thought was beautiful. And, and really quick mention, Gordon Willis, I mean, fucking world famous cinematographer, uh, Godfather, had also did Stardust Memories, which was a black and white film. And yet this was so much more beautiful to me, I thought. Um, the way he was able to light this film. Uh, let me ask you, man, before, before we get into it too much, like, I, I want to know what you feel about this because when I watched it, I really felt like 
this is that thing that Woody Allen does. He's able to conjure up something. And even though he's not known for being this, this director who will punch you in the stomach with some form of sentimentality at the end, I get to the last five minutes of that movie and I'm kind of like, oh my God, like I want to cry, but in a good way because it's like such a beautiful little thing. And I'll shut up, Max, what was your uh, initial opinions on Broadway Danny Rose? Yeah, no, I, I, I really liked it. And I think that the difference for me as somebody who hasn't seen a lot of Woody Allen films in which Woody Allen takes front and center, uh, because I, I have seen a decent chunk of his like later filmography, I'm sure. realizing. Um, where he's more behind the camera. Uh, th- this this was the first time where I felt like he wasn't 100% playing himself. He's still leaning into the Woody Allen uh, mannerisms and the whole, like, I'm, I'm starting to, like, lock into what he does, like, and how he talks and everything. Uh, but it really works for this particular character. Like, it, it makes him, like, very lovable as opposed to just being like this sort of self-aware meta Woody Allen thing, which uh, Stardust Memories was not in a bad way, but I could see that getting tiring if he did that every fucking time. So right. I'm, I'm glad that this was a character that was built to kind of service or play or lean into his strengths as a, uh, as a performer. Like you believe him as Danny Rose, this kind of schlubby uh, a- 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 entertainment manager um, in, in Broadway in the fucking 70s, 80s, yeah. With a heart of gold, man. Uh, yeah. and, that, and that's kind of the thing. So the framing device is like a bunch of old comics meet up at the Carnegie Deli and they're telling stories about the old days and the old uh, jamokes from the old neighborhood. These are real ass comics too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like Milton Burl I'm seeing credited and Jackie Gale and a bunch of other people I don't know. They were big. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a framing device, and eventually they stumble on like I got the best Danny Rose story, and then they start to tell the story that we see unfold on the screen. Which I don't want to get too much into the actual plot details, but what you find out about Danny Rose is that Danny Rose is a like Broadway talent manager who uh, is always he's like so good and so loyal to his people, but they're not necessarily loyal to him. He's had a lot of people who have gone on to be successful who he was the first manager, you know what I mean? Uh, And they left him because he's not big time enough, blah, 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 blah. But that's never stopped him from like really loving uh, his acts and being there for his acts. And it's not just lip service, you know, like you see it throughout it Uh, because the main frame is, you know, main story for him anyway, is that he's trying to resurrect the career of a, super has been like a super has been like a lounge singer 50s guy <laughs> which i love that guy by the way i gotta tell you like the thing is this movie is perfectly fucking cast for pretty much every role it's what nick apollo forte i have got all the wikipedias open for these movies um and apparently according to this interesting side note which i just read uh de niro and sylvester stallone were both offered that role and both turned it down mm. um, but hey honestly fucking worked out because that guy was fantastic it was great yeah i was gonna say i was really blown away and apparently he did not really an act doesn't really fuck with that he's not an actor um he's only done like two or three things well i was gonna say like you you believe him in that role right. you know like a hundred percent you're like yeah he's that guy uh his his world gets a little bit fucking turned upside down because he's having an extramarital affair with mia farrow playing an italian which is very interesting to me by the way just as a concept that mia farrow plays an italian and does so believably yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, noticed a trend in in uh, Woody Allen movies that I've seen her in, um, and unfortunately, they you know they aren't on great terms right now. But uh, he definitely brought out uh, the best in her in terms of like her comedic uh, ability. I didn't know that she was a comedic actress or capable of of this kind of comedic range until 
the what radio days in this. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one scene in particular where I got really sad because I was watching it with Dolores and it's the scene where they're tied together near the end of the film or whatever. And it's just like, it's silly and it's dumb. And it's like the kind of thing you would see other people do and you'd be like, ugh. But for some yeah. reason, you're just like, God damn it. It's really sad that those two fucked that relationship up. That's mean. It's really sad that he fucked that relationship up because it's like they made 13 movies together. And I honestly believe it was one of those collaborations that brought out the best in her, obviously. But he yeah. had a muse, man. He like had someone to write for and she was always game. Right. And, and then it was uh, what Scarlett Johansson for a minute. And now I don't know who. Nobody. Nobody. His, his, own, his own hubris and regret. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, how, how are you, uh, not, not, not to cast a pall over this, but, but you mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago when we last talked about him, that you're kind of reckoning with his legacy. Um, uh, where are you at uh, in that journey with him? Uh, <laughs> I honestly, Broadway Danny Rose helped me because I, like, I needed to remember that he was capable of a movie like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it doesn't, I don't know what happened and I'm not going to crucify a man because I'm not a fucking investigator or a forensics expert. You know, I will say that certainly all of these movies have a weird cloud over them now, but this was one of the ones that I was like 100% able to kind of like turn that off during the confines of, of me watching the film. Uh, right. There was no part in it that was like, that didn't age well or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, well, actually, there is one part where I think he's talking to a like a girl for half a second. And he's just like, oh, you want to get yeah. married, sweetheart? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, okay. yeah. I remember like, going, ah. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, other than that. But they were just like, I don't know. Like, the point is, there were just points, like, uh parts of this film that again other people would do and it wouldn't be as funny to me that scene where they're tied together they're also the one who was like if anything happens to that car i'm gonna be so angry smash cut they're just like bleeding up the car and i'm right. like i've seen that a billion times for some reason that really tickled my funny bone when i saw it you know also just like that out of shape italian gangster like just chasing after them and like trying to shoot them and it's fucking woody allen in a chase scene <laughs> right. like well this but so, 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 I mean, again, I don't want to go into too many details because I want everyone to watch this film, but the point is he, he's resurrecting the career of this guy and this guy asked him to do his favor. He's having an extramarital affair with Mia Farrow and he says, go to Jersey and pick her up. And this starts off this wacky adventure that they have for the whole day in order to get to the theater in time. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's going to be the beard. Yeah, and unbeknownst to him, by the way, like Mia Farrow and this guy have had some conversations that are detrimental to Danny Rose. And that brings me to the point that I want to talk about, which is the ending of this film. The last 15 minutes of this film are like fucking wonderful, man. Like in a way I wasn't really ready for, specifically Woody Allen as an actor. And it's not like he's doing something incredible, but it's he does, he knows exactly what button to push. He knows that like he's a sad kind of Mr. Pitiful schlub, you know what I mean? So there's the scene where after the show and everything's gone well, he's like uh, changes in management and they just linger on him, you know? And he's just, you let it, you see it sink in and, he, and, and, he, and he's so wounded and he, he couldn't even fathom this, even though it's happened to him a million times. Like he just couldn't right. even fathom it. And I was like, holy shit, this dude can act. He's secretly a good actor, man. Yeah, yeah, but at least, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it, but but it still like ends on a nice a nice note for sure. Well, um, and specifically the final shot of that, where you know Mia Farrow goes and 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 he's kind of alone now, but he's not alone. He's surrounded by all these fucking misfits and oddballs who really love him, and he loves them, and 
and that's okay. You know what I mean? And then, you know, you get that, fi- that final scene is kind of staggering, dude, like where he's running out and it ends. I, I got to the end of that and I was like, I, I don't know, baby. That's like a fucking, that's like, that's a proof of concept about that dude as a director that he was able to conjure that moment. And also Gordon Willis deserves all the fucking credit because he made 1970s New York or 1980s New York, this beautiful thing in monochrome. Yeah, yeah, it was really wonderfully shot. The black and white definitely serviced it well. Um, I will say like one thing that I expected from it that I didn't get, and I'm not mad about it. It's just Mm -hmm. like the way it was originally set up. I thought it was going to be a series of like random stories about Danny Rose, kind of like Mm -hmm. Zelig almost, but with a more talkative character. Uh, But it ended up just being like that specific story. And like, it took me a minute to adjust. I was like, we're still on this story for a while. Because like, (laughs) back to these dudes at this diner telling stories about Danny Rose and it just ends up on this one but no like once I figured out what the movie was doing I really uh really fucking enjoyed it and like yeah like you said like it does kind of get you at the end and similar to radio days um when when they're on the roof and everything yeah but I'll say this I think this one got me a little bit more than radio Days. radio days is beautiful and it's sentimental don't get me wrong uh but there was just something about because, because I don't know, man, we live in a world where like, it's all predicated on Hollywood romance and like big glorious, like moments of action. And this final moment is a guy running through the snowy streets, not to get the girl. I mean, yeah, to get the girl, but not in that way. Like, because he made a connection with someone like, and that's all the world is, are these connections that you make the family that you choose, you know what I mean? And like, I don't know, that fucking got me. I just, I really love that movie, dude. I gotta be honest. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very uh, glad that you recommended it. Um, so um, moving along, are you going to be uh, taking me down this Woody Allen rabbit hole further? Um, yeah, but, but what I think I'm going to do, I mean, I can, I can give you a week off. All right, baby, you deserve a furlough for sure. But what I think I'm going to do, honestly, is like maybe one more of the lighter stuff. But I, I, I've, because I've only seen a couple, I'm really curious to see like straight up Woody Allen dramatist because I never watched like interiors I want to see the stuff he did in the 70s late 70s and in the 80s where he decided to like kind of become more dramatic and, and look at it that way you know oh so, so there's like a chunk of his filmography that you're not familiar with like yeah I haven't seen everything dude's made like 40 movies or yeah something. give me give me credit I think I've seen like 75% of them but there's a lot of them just because there's a lot as well that like never seemed like oh I got a like a September or Alice I'm like ah all right <laughs> like and it's not me trying to be an asshole it's like I, I, I will get to it when when I get to it for now, we gotta, we gotta go over here. You know what I mean? Um, right. So there's a couple that I think there might be one or two more comedies on the list, but I, but I am very curious to like, especially now that you liked Broadway, Danny Rose, that, that helps me. Now it's like, okay, I can kind of figure out how to tailor the other comedies. You know what I'm saying? And like, hopefully you'll like those. Then you have a really good understanding of that. I would like to see the other side of the pendulum because obviously this duality of being a comedian and also having something serious to say is something he struggled with his whole career. That's why you would oscillate between the two. Uh, Broadway Danny Rose kind of hits that perfect sweet spot. It's never a drama, really, but the emotions are real. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and so I'm curious. We'll figure that out. But uh, let's move along, man. What do you got? What's your film this week? Uh, yeah, so my, my pick uh, will be uh, Marjorie Prime. I'm going to start us off with that one. Um, movie's nuts. Fucking nuts movie is all I got to say, but go on. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, no, uh, so, so it's a movie that I knew next to nothing about going in, except I saw like one review that John Hamm was apparently really great in it, and he played a like holographic projection of an uh, elderly woman's uh, dead spouse that was kind of helping her uh, deal with her Alzheimer's. And that's all I knew about it. Um, It's based on a play um, written and directed by Michael Almereda. Um, And I think the play like either 
was nominated for a Pulitzer or won, but neither here nor there. When you watch the, the movie, it definitely makes sense um, that it's based on a play because it's just a series of kind of conversations. Living rooms, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, meditations on like the nature of uh, memory and time and aging. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much or get too into it before I ask you, uh, how did you feel? I, I, I could see you going either way on this thing. Um, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts on uh, it? I, yeah, I'm... Uh... It was very challenging. It was a challenging film, even though it doesn't seem like it would be up top. Just, just in terms of like, and it's very hard to talk about this without spoiling shit, but how things are seemingly real or they're a facsimile of the thing that we think is real. And they kind of use that dramatically a couple times. Now, it's right. never the punchline, though. That's what's so interesting about it. Like, usually when those reveals happen, the, 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 the rug being pulled from under you, it's like, no, that that thing was not the like does that make sense like it was so emotionally driven that even though there was like oh this is a twist it's never about the fucking twist it's about the implication of what that means to the people around and i was really bored by that it's almost like another layer this is a movie and i'll let you continue i just want to say like this is a movie that i would not have recommended this to you um if i had just come out of it you know it was something that over the ensuing three years since i've seen it I cannot stop thinking about it, especially mm-hmm. like the final 30 minutes. Like, okay, well, yeah, and that's, that's what sells the whole film is yeah. the last 30 minutes. By the way, very quickly, you snuck away to have a dead dog in this film. You snuck it in. You snuck it in right at the 11th hour somehow. And I was like, God yeah. damn it, Damien, it's- you piece of shit. <laughs> I got so mad. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a rider in my contract. You know, I, <laughs> I, I have to have it. <laughs> at least once those last 30 minutes are really beautiful but but it also harkens back kind of like what you and you told me this when we when you picked the film the black mirror episode right where it's like first of all when is a thing stop being a thing and start being like a person you know like at what point especially what you impart on other people is something that is inherently human like emotions you know what i mean and so i i watched those, those last 30 minutes just being like fuck like because i didn't think that's where the movie was going even though everything else seemed like it was leading there and yet it still surprised me you know yeah it it starts off as one thing it starts off in the first half and we might as well call this lois smith cast by the way because she appears in five easy pieces and she is uh fucking wonderful in everything she's wonderful i had never seen her dude i need to tell you this i had never seen her uh and then the day that you recommended marjorie prime was the day i was watching that episode of the americans that she and she's fucking awesome in that episode i was like oh wow that's amazing and then that night i watched five easy pieces i was like what the fuck is going on? This woman's been everywhere. <laughs> like you buy a Volkswagen and suddenly it's everywhere on the road. It was yeah. incredible, man. Yeah, no, she, she really is wonderful. Oh, Gina Davis also, which I haven't seen in anything. Very good. Um, like yeah. everyone's kind of great in it. John Hamm specifically, I thought, because you were, I, I think I asked you, I feel so bad that he was Don Draper because yeah. it was too perfect. Like he'll never again be able to find that, that life after that role. And this was kind of the best I have seen him do period of anything outside of Mad Yeah. And he does so wonderful by not doing too much. Right. Um, I, I know we're going all over the place here. The first half of the movie is basically you think you know what you're watching, which is a movie about, you know, uh, Lois Smith sort of n- navigating uh, her decline with uh the onset of alzheimer's yeah, yeah the onset of alzheimer's with a facsimile of of her dead husband 
And meanwhile, her her daughter, played by Gina Davis, and uh, Gina Davis's husband, played by Tim Robbins, also fucking wonderful. Um, one of those really underrated actors, I think. That of course. Not enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it's just these. It's just a series of scenes of these people sort of talking to each other. And this this uh, facsimile of her husband, like the program, is never an insidious AI or anything like that. It doesn't even get into too much. Like, what does it mean to be human? At least in the early stretch. It's more just there to learn, to learn more about this man that he's pretending to be to become a better version of that. Right. There was that fucking part where he was like, oh, my God. All right, sorry, I'm about to cry a little bit. Where he's just like, why couldn't I tell my kids I love them? <laughs> that part where he was like, I, I don't know, man, that fucking got me. Same thing with Gina Davis being like, I chose this version of my mom because that's the thing. I still have things to say to her. You know what I mean? Like. And I was just, I don't know, dude, because the whole, again, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's about the nature of memory. And like, even Lois Smith is kind of like, tell me, like, pretty that up. You know what I mean? Because our memories are already imperfect as it is. So if you're going to have imperfect memories, why not have the, the least pain and just the most love and, and, and happiness that you could possibly have? So anyway, the point is I walked, I walked into that movie being like, oh, this is going to be a fun little sci-fi romp. And then like cut to an hour and 20 minutes later, I'm crying my yeah. eyes out. <laughs> like, I'm fucking devastating. Like there, there's this final so there there's this story that lois smith tells early on about one of her favorite memories with her husband um and seeing like these these orange or maroon colored flags against a bed of snow um and they sit down in a park and look at that together and then it cuts to her as a young woman and you realize that she's watching it on tv instead that she remembered it wrong that her favorite memory is a lie yeah. not true but does it matter and then it's just by the end uh there have been so many time jumps and these ais like they kind of pile on a little bit lois smith dies and then she gets her she gets a prime dies. yeah she gets a prime and gina davis dies and she, she gets, gets a prime <laughs> just, the, it's so haunting and beautiful and kind of creepy at the same time uh, it's just this these ais talking to each other and learning from each other and correcting mistakes well, and, well, and then we get to that last line where she's isn't the last line of the movie and again it's been a couple of weeks i'm sorry but but she's just like oh what a like it was amazing to have loved anything something like that the idea yeah. that we are we are fucking bots bro we're a clever lie and yet yeah. like oh yeah. god damn it and, so good just a closing shot of the fucking orange flags on the tv yeah. And then Marjorie Prime. Yeah. Um, really, yeah, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad you took something away. There's a lot I could to like, see, yeah. Yeah, I could see people being put off by it because it does, it does very much play like a stage play. It's written like a stage play. It, it's shot very economically. But I'm the guy who likes uh, Osage County, the Tracy Letts play. You know what I'm saying? Which is literally just like around a dinner table mostly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I'm always down for that. And I got to thank you. I, I really... I, the point of all of this, I think your picks have been a little bit more eclectic and I like that where mine is like, I feel like, Oh, but these are all the things you must see. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a little bit more curated, I think, but I love that we're having these mixes because like, I think there's something to be said about the things you're supposed to have seen or maybe the things that slip between the cracks that you know is good, but haven't seen. Right. And then yeah. there are these things that like, indie film we, we we're in a better spot than we've ever been because we have so many different avenues and like vod isn't the the uh, nail in the coffin that it used to be like in fact people prefer it so it's like this is a movie i had heard of 
was planning on watching for a good minute, just like never was like, oh, I'll sit down right. and do it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that this is the kind of movie that, yeah, perfect point, that could easily slip right past people and never get really watched, even if it's on your watch list. It's the kind of movie that might stay there for years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I do want to just say one more thing about it before Please. we move on. Uh, Mika Levi uh, did the score and continues to be, like, every score I hear from her, I think she might be, like, well, top five composer uh she, she's the the joker lady and uh, chernobyl no. lady no, no that's the hilder wadenich she's great too i'm sorry what, what so what, what scores have uh, she done she did uh under the skin and Monos. done yeah oh and monos fuck yeah. monos is so great yeah okay so i'm glad you didn't let me just shut you up after under the skin under the skin truly is one of i was talking to my friend ryan um the the honus guy uh, and like he was saying the same thing he's like god damn it that fucking score and under the skin because I asked him like would you like to be hired to do an original score he's like I, I think about it all the time but I'm like I'll never make something as good as that so why would I try and I was like I hope she knows that you feel that way about her man because that's like an amazing thing and it's very accurate and then Manos is just like cherry vanilla yeah. sprinkles <laughs> like it's even better you know yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, so check out Marjorie Prime guys, it's on Amazon Prime uh, so <laughs> Watch it, um and uh prepare to be devastated uh mr torres what is next well mr mccarty i'll tell you um and i and i gotta be honest man i've really loved doing this i think this is awesome because it's it's widened my film knowledge certainly it's allowed me to go see a couple classics that i really loved and rediscover my love for them uh th this one is something i picked because i i hadn't seen it and i was like i'll force max to watch it and make myself watch it uh, I, I was not ready for how much I fucking love this film. I'm talking about five easy pieces by, I can't say his name was Bob Raffelson or Raphaelson. I can never know how to say his name. I think it's uh, Raffelson. Raphaelson. Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be incredible. Uh, but uh, okay, so here's the thing, man. Uh, and, I, and I need to give it this preamble, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, which is to say that we're 30. Mm -hmm. which means that we grew up in a world where I think some of our earliest memories are probably like Disney animation, right? Like uh, Little Mermaid, The Lion King, specifically Aladdin, I think. Aladdin was a biggie for us because we were like three or four years old when that came out and sure. it, it existed in VHS for the longest time. Why am I bringing up Aladdin? Okay, because <laughs> there's a scene in Aladdin that has always stuck with me, Max, which is that the mm -hmm. genie at some point in, the, in an early attempt at meta humor they pull out the genie's reading an Aladdin script with glasses on, with the earring, and he's clearly being Jack Nicholson. The yeah. reason I'm saying all of this is that Jack Nicholson, to people our age, was Jack Nicholson in the same way that Woody Allen is Woody Allen or Charlie Chaplin is Charlie Chaplin. Like the caricature of Jack Nicholson is what right. we knew. He's that cartoon character. He's uh, J Joker in the first Batman movie. Uh, that, yeah, that was like my, that and Aladdin were my first brushes with uh, Jackie, Jackie Nicholson. No, it's not to say that, like, I didn't see other things. My mom adored as good as it gets when I was a kid. And mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen it in a minute, but I remember really loving Jack Nicholson in that movie. Being like, oh, shit. Then when I was a little bit older, about Schmidt came out, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this guy's great. He's, like, really good. And I think that's the thing. People our age, we slept on Nicholson a little bit. We knew he was great. We knew he was like Hollywood royalty or whatever, but we didn't, we didn't get it because near the end, like he's a cranky old man. He doesn't want to fucking put in the effort anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, he's doing anger management with Adam Sandler. He's being a fucking goofball. Exactly, um, dude. It's, yeah. It's absolutely easy to, to forget 
or not understand like when the paint was drying like how how revelatory he must have been back then because i'm sure you're about to say it was revelatory for you to watch this um and see young jack nicholson be this fucking good in the same way that you and I, I think a year ago, we were talking about Chinatown and I just went back and was like, Oh my, like you forget Mm -hmm. that he was like a Titan, (laughs) like that he was able to do shit like that. And that's how I felt about five easy pieces, but like turned up uh, like times two or three. I don't know how to, to really describe that performance because it's so not flashy. Like that is the, that's the thing about it. You want to talk about being instead of acting like whatever he is being in that film is some next level shit. Um, so I want to ask you, and then we can set it up a little bit, man. Uh, but five easy pieces, uh, 1970 film starring Jack Nicholson, initial impressions, Max, please. Oh, uh, well, I, I saw this movie when I was a teenager. Um, probably around like 13 or 14. So barely even a teenager and was not ready for it then, to be honest yeah. with you. Like, like it, it's not a movie that you can appreciate when you're that age. You don't have the perspective necessary to understand where this character is at at this point in his life. Because I think at a certain, on a certain level, uh, you cannot identify with this character even when he's being fucking awful. Maybe not on every level, but on a certain level, you absolutely can. You can't do that when you're 13 or 14. You don't have the life experience yet. So it's a movie that like, I remembered as being fine, like pretty good, uh, and then kind of tucked it away and like never returned to it. So I'm very grateful that you recommended it to me because yeah, this is like up there with the things we've watched um, for this list. Like maybe, you know, I think Playtime is still like my favorite just because that was like blew my fucking mind, but this might be like a close second. I'm not going to blame you for that. They're also on the fucking autism spectrum of film <laughs> that they're so different. <laughs> you know, like one is trying to do this very specific thing. The other is trying to build yeah, this. Not, yeah, not not to rank things. That that was a, probably a dumb way to look at it. But um, yeah, man, uh, really fucking loved this movie um, on almost every level, like just on the writing level, because you, you look back at these like kind of late 60s, early 70s movies, like the Midnight Cowboys and the, you know, Graduate and this and everything. And some of those movies don't age that well, right. you know, like they're kind of of a certain time and place. Easy Rider, good example. Great example. Some, yeah, this is something that, holy shit, it's like timeless. It's so fucking good. I, I'm really, I want to ask you a question about something that you said, because what I find interesting about that is you mentioned experience and perspective. We weren't much older when we watched Last Picture Show. And I know that, I think you're, didn't your dad make you watch Last Picture Show when you were a kid or something like that? Or did you discover that on your own? I think it, it just ended, I don't remember how it just ended okay. up in my Netflix queue. For some okay, reason. for me, and I, and I think I've told you that, that film was, uh, on our last Where's My Burrito, we talk about the Beatles. Like, it was the same as hearing Eleanor Rigby in a weird way. Yeah. Last Picture Show, to this day, still remains one of my favorite films ever, but it made me feel something that I had not felt since I watched it. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Five Easy Pieces, and I'm like, oh, there's that feeling. Yeah. Hello, old friend. <laughs> like, and, and that is the highest compliment I could possibly give it, because as soon as I got done watching that movie, I then watched Last Picture Show and was just like, oh, fucking, yeah, like what a double feature, man. I just can't tell you how wonderful those films are. But mm-hmm. talk plotting a little bit, because I think it's very important of why this film is so fucking great, is that it starts off, Jack Nicholson is like, some, he's an oil man in the middle of fucking bumfuck nowhere, and he's got a real simple but very sweet girl right she's a waitress yeah. at a place he's got a friend you know like yeah, they Karen set it up Black, the Go ahead. Sorry. 
Karen Black, right? The girlfriend. Yeah, and she. I, I, it's weird because she went on to do things that like we kind of knew, like that in our time. Like I think she's in House of a Thousand Corpses for some reason. She's like Mama Firefly or something. Um, not her claim to fame. Her claim to fame is obviously this, but. Uh, so, so the whole movie is kind of predicated on that and he is this oil man and he's nothing, he's nothing. Uh, and they reveal in very subtle ways and beautiful ways. Like I gotta tell you just in like, as a filmmaker, you see things on screen and you're just like, fucking, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> like, cause it's so amazing. The first time that we, we kind of get a clue to who he is, is, there's a traffic jam on the way out of the rig and, uh, he's drunk as hell because you can just drive around drunk back in the day. That's the best part of it, I guess or the worst part of it. Uh, and he's trying to get a vantage point to see what's causing the traffic. So he jumps up on this truck and, and he's looking and everyone's honking. And then he notices that one of the things that this truck is hauling is a piano and he just tucks yeah. off the thing and starts playing it. He's playing fucking, it's not Chopin. It might be Bach or something. The first song. I don't know. Cause the five easy pieces is about like a learner's book that you get from yeah, a piano. Stravinsky, right? Yeah. Oh, Stravinsky. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay. So, that's like your first clue. And then like the, the, to make it a plot, the plot is he finds out that his father is ailing uh, and that he needs to go make amends with him. And through that, you find out that this is a guy who is a piano prodigy, like he's a genius. His whole family is kind of of that genius. His sister is still currently that fucking genius. You know, so on and right. so forth. They have um, like an estate out on an island. It's a family of like these uh, elite intellectuals and creative types and everything and this this guy and the movie is so smart with how it like doles out that information you know he never has like a, a break or anything where he just like screams at his girlfriend like i could have been somebody i'm a piano prodigy like it just kind of slowly shows you like this guy ran away from all of this and you slowly start to see why but with that, it never says it. And that's kind of well, what I... Well, they, but that's what's so fucking amazing about the end of this film, isn't it? Like, that's, that's what I find amazing about it is like, when we see him, he's not comfortable. When we see him as an oil man, he's not comfortable. He's not content. He's not happy. He right. ran away from everything that he was, was status and talent and recognition and blah, 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 blah. Because he wasn't comfortable there. Like, that's what I was so blown away by was just that there's not a, there's not like a scene where he's like, finally, I'm happy, guys. Like, that dude yeah. is the same level of cringe and like looking over his shoulder and just general anxiety throughout the entire film, man. Yeah, he's out of place everywhere he is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, that scene where, where he plays Chopin at the house or whatever, uh, like fuck dude sorry not to geek out that's like a fanboy thing but like i watched that scene and just the camera work just he moves the camera we see all the great composers we see all the sheet music we see uh what's her name Catherine, i believe she's genuinely kind of moved by yeah. his shitty playing and then, by the way shitty is relative he's great but what i'm saying is that like he's out of practice clearly you know what i mean like and he like, even simple piece yeah well and that's the thing i really loved that scene kind of like because that's the one moment where i think he's putting it on front street you know, it's the one half second of Jack Nicholson, like, please, like, you know what I mean? It's like, you, I faked some Chopin and you faked being moved by it. And she's like, why? And that's like, isn't that the cynical nature right there that anyone would be, would be like, oh, faking their, their love for this music or what, what the, the emotions it brought them to, it moved them to. And I think that's like this genuine moment where like, oh, you poor guy, because you did have the talent. Like, and maybe you had the love for it, but you don't have the love for it anymore. And, and you lost that and you lost whatever attachment you had to like feeling like you, you were a part of something that wasn't just you. Like it really is the ultimate fucking loner movie, but it never tells you that he's surrounded by people at all times and yeah. he's completely alone, man. 
yeah it's just uh just a gen genuine sense of like aimlessness and like he, he's got all of this potential but it will always just stay potential it'll never get realized because he doesn't know what direction to put it in it's like he's trying on all these costumes throughout the movie is you know i'm gonna be the the backwoods uh trailer park boy and just hang out with my simple girlfriend and everything who's a lovely lady but he obviously doesn't have a real connection with her right he doesn't really respect her um, well, and, well this is, so this is my point about the ending right which i think is yeah. one of the great endings ever uh and my friend was like you know they remade that movie with a happy ending and i'm like what they did he's like yeah it's called goodwill hunting and i'm like God, yeah yeah fuck that movie's a hack movie now it was a hack movie before that um but but we get to the ending because you're just like they never come out and tell you why this guy felt like he had to leave you know what I mean? Like you can infer he thought it was all bullshit. He actually says as much, this is all bullshit, <laughs> you know? But at the end, it's like, there's this, this devastating fucking scene in the car where they're driving and his girlfriend's just singing and trying to be sweet and kiss him. And like, by the way, we have all been this guy. Like when yeah. like my girlfriend just wants to be nice to me or my wife wants, wanted to be nice to me or something like that. And I'm just like, okay, get the fuck yeah. off, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's a terrible thing. Cause someone's just trying to show you some love and affection. And when Karen Black's right. just like, ain't nobody going to love you. Like I love you. I'm like, that's true. That's true, Bubby. Like this woman, like, don't, like, what are you doing? She loves you like for everything right. bad about you. And she still loves you, man. And even that, like we get to the ending and his, it's no one, it's him. His default yeah. is to run like by himself is the only solace he knows. And it's still torture. I don't yeah. know, man. Well, like, I mean, even, even before that, I mean, just the final 30 minute stretch. I mean, same with Marjorie prime, but especially this, like, uh, the, Thing with his father and him talking to his father who can't talk anymore yeah and and he's basically saying like i could have never talked with you this way uh without these circumstances i'm paraphrasing poorly but like because his father can't speak this is the first time he can really like actually right. say something to him um and still comes to the conclusion that like yeah he, he doesn't belong there he doesn't belong anywhere yeah it's 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 one of those uh and and you you're right like with goodwill hunting and, and maybe a ton of other indie wannabe five easy pieces movies you can see how this movie probably much like pulp fiction ruined independent film for a while <laughs> uh you can see how this kind of ruined like the sort of aimless wanderer loner road movie kind of archetype or set those tropes up right. and just blew all those other movies out of the water you know that kind of inconclusive ending where you don't know where that character is going to go it's just perfect here um, i watched the end of that movie and like my jaw dropped i know that sounds yeah. so stupid because it's a guy getting into a fucking truck like there's nothing like whoa yeah. i watched that and it's just this static shot and they do things like so smart because you just see the car drive away and you see her walk back and she's like looking and and they don't cut in close or anything you just see it all from afar like you're yeah. some voyeur watching this horrifically sad thing happen um yeah. i don't know man i just i i and maybe we're not selling it uh the way it should it because the problem is it's well, not a film that is is dependent on plot at all it's it, it's, it's a character study through and through and it doesn't in, intend to be anything else i i do want to shout out um like I, I always say, <laughs> save the technicals for later. Okay. Uh, but just like a really well shot movie too. Like mm -hmm. there's some really striking imagery in this, uh, yeah. but in a very low key way. And that's some of my favorite filmmaking is like invisible filmmaking. And there's so much like wonderful yeah. invisible filmmaking here. Where like if you're looking for it, you're like, God damn! Like that's just like perfect editing, perfect shot. Yeah, like the, it's it's across the board a great film. Yeah, so I gotta say it's uh it's it's my personal favorite of that. Not to rank anything, it's just that it's the one where sometimes you watch film and you're you're 
you're you're impressed by the technical aspects of it and sometimes you're like oh that's really good writing and shit like that and other times you just get hit in a place that does not it's not about analysis and it's not about this this or that it just hits you in a very cerebral and emotional place uh and i'm telling you again last picture show which for me has always been on like my mount rushmore i'm not saying it's a perfect film but for me personally uh that that chloris leachman scene at the end and then sam the lion monologue by the way i mean that that's one of the greatest fucking movies ever made. And I would never put any of the new Hollywood stuff on the same level as that until I saw five easy pieces. And I was like, yeah, that's maybe better, probably better, but I like last picture show. It, it, it's, it's my sentimental favorite. Anyway, the point is please go watch it. Um, you did already max, but everyone else, please go watch it. It's such a fucking lovely film. Uh, yeah, we're circling I mean, again, the basic. I, oh. I watched it, but I didn't watch it. So I'm glad I watched right. it now. If that makes I'm sense. Glad, I'm glad. I'm yeah, glad. Uh, five sleazy leases, as <laughs> we've been affectionately calling it for a while. Um, yeah. Thank you for five sneezy pizzas. Sir. Yeah. yeah five, five creepy pizzas. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the last uh, pick of the ep, I've got a film from last year um, that I know you were going to watch eventually, um, but but again, I didn't want it to kind of like blow by you because. Something that just really fucking surprised me when I watched it. Uh, it's Trey Edward Schultz's uh, Waves. Um, so it's a, it's a movie that like uh, I, I saw trailers for, and it looked like an overwrought family drama, and it, and it is that. But I feel like it's a a lot more than that um, in terms of the the filmmaking, how it tells its story, uh, a middle act, uh, middle film turning point that kind of shook me in a similar way to like hereditary which is a weird comparison yeah um uh, how did you feel about waves oh um yeah no i mean brought the emotional devastation for this fucking episode (laughs) yeah we did yeah i mean it reminded me a lot of uh, native son by richard wright obviously from a plot device standpoint you know like uh you know black black guy kills a woman you know that happens that happens sometimes but outside of that i will say that since i think you were smirking um it was a movie that really caught me off guard one because geographically like it looks similar to where we grew up in a mm-hmm. lot of ways like it's set in south florida and we're not like from south south florida but we have the yeah. university of south florida for some reason even though we're in the middle of the state neither here nor there uh but it it it, it, it reminded me of that it, it really did it reminded me of an upbringing that was very familiar to me um and i gotta tell you the thing that i kind of really liked about it was though even though it's like a black family at no point is that the focal point it's never like hey they're a black family <laughs> it's very much like hey we're like a middle-class yeah, family yeah. trying our fucking best we we have we have a daughter we have a son we're it, it's, you know I mean? it, as far as i can remember there's only like one part of it when they go to the abortion clinic and they run afoul of a protester where that race is ever brought up right um i'm pretty sure yeah um uh, sorry, because I'm just flashing back to that fucking scene because that was a horror. There's a lot of part, parts in this movie that are kind of like horror scenes, to be completely yeah. honest. Uh, and and I know what you're talking about when we get to like this mid midpoint. But I got to say, I think that the first half of that movie, and maybe it's not a perfect even, maybe it's like 40 minutes before that thing happens or 35 minutes before that thing. I, I don't remember the exact timestamp on it, but. No, it's it's like I, I it's almost exactly like right in the middle. It's of right it. in the middle. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because well, it, it it kind of differentiates everything. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like the, all all the heavy lifting they do about who those people are, the relationships that they have, like the over 
overbearing father who is not satisfied, like this societal pressure that he feels right. like, you know, like not, they, not an abusive guy, just like, oh, no, weight no. of great expectations. Yeah. Which I, I appreciated, you know, it's, it's like you, you see a lot of these like overbearing uh, sports dads in these, these kinds of movies um where the the dad's usually a dick wearing ray-bans just going all right jt you're gonna you're gonna practice every day you make your pappy proud like it wasn't that at all like he's just a a guy who had to fucking pull himself up and uh it's weird because i gotta tell you that sterling k brown is my emotional entry point which is weird because it's like actual kids who grew up where i grew up (laughs) but 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 he really kind of anchors that together because again i think we have this thing about father-son stories inherently i mean you look at the, sure. the, the odyssey man there's a reason they you know we we pass down these very specific stories about fathers and sons and how it affects us um so they set all that stuff up and just like you know him he has a fucking injury and like a bad injury and instead of like i don't know i'm dealing with this now because i'm in therapy and we're talking about a lot of stuff about like why do you feel like if you have this emotion or you're you're scared of something that it's a shameful thing like you're not allowed to tell people about it and the same way that like people choke have you heard about like when people choke a lot of times they excuse themselves and they go to the bathroom and like fucking die in the bathroom because they're ashamed about a human feeling they don't want to burden other people with something that they're feeling well and that's kind of like i looked at it like that and like sure it's a sports injury but it's not the sports injury that that is making him become the oh i'm gonna steal his i'm gonna steal painkillers i'm gonna you know what i'm saying like it's not that it's it's the expectation it's the burden it's the miscommunication or the misinterpretation rather of his father's high expectations meaning that he loves him his love is conditional to those expectations you know what i'm saying so like already i'm just like god damn it you know what i'm saying because i see where this is kind of going and i'm a little fucking sad by it uh but but then you get everything in the second half of the movie after the incident and then i told you i talked to my double toasted boss about this right because he he had some very strong feelings about the imagery of of another black dude going to fucking jail for this thing that we've seen and that's why i i brought up native son by richard wright because it's like we're not supposed to be comforted by our art. Like we're not. Yeah. And the reality is this happens. So you can say, I don't want to see it represented, but then you're asking for a fantasy. You're asking for a fictional version of the world. Sure. And like, yeah, it's horrific what ends up happening. That's for everybody. Like, by the way, he's not like some innocent victim in any of this, but he also, it shows you how one moment changes everything. Like right. this is why you can't be fucking around with that. Um, I have, I have more to say, but I feel like uh, rain me in, say something now and we'll get to other points. Oh, yeah. Point. Well, I, I just want to like step away from plot for a second. Like, oh, like, sure. J- well, well, just in general terms, I guess I just want to set up like, yeah, it's about this kid who's like a, a wrestling, I don't want to call him a prodigy, but an up and comer in high school. He good. Uh, his father has these high expectations. He also has a sister, like they're upper middle class. Um, and the first half of that movie from the beginning uh, is wall-to-wall soundtrack and frenetic camera work and zips and pans and zooms and like every filmmaking technique that you can think of thrown like at the screen. And it's it's almost assaultive uh, up to a point for a movie that's about just a family and this and this kid kind of succumbing to pressures and drinking more and, you know, taking painkillers and getting addicted to the painkillers and I was actually, relationships. yeah, I wasn't, I, I wasn't ignoring it. I was just waiting till the end. Cause I wanted to talk about that director. Cause this is, this is his debut, I believe. Right. Trey Edward Schultz. Or is this no, his second did, film? Uh, this is his third film. Third uh, he film. did uh, it, it comes at night and he did oh. uh, Cresha. Yeah. Well, I liked It Comes at Night a lot. Okay. So never mind. But that's, see, that's even more interesting is like, that's a, that's a fucking jump from that yeah. film to this film is like, whoa. Okay. Um, right. 
Yeah, no, no, the, the direction's actually really good. I was, I was a little hesitant, reticent rather, uh, in the beginning, I got to tell you. For whatever reason, and maybe this is just like unconscious biases, this and Last Black Man in San Francisco, I'm like, ah, oh, it's fucking, those are those two movies that came out at the same time, which is not true. I think they came out six months apart from each other. But in my mind, I was like, there, there, there's those two films. And I like love the beginning of Last Black Man in San Francisco. I think it's like such an amazing like opening scene. Um, so initially I was a little hesitant about this, but no, I think afterwards, like what's interesting is that for as assaultive as it is initially, they kind of rein that shit back. Like, well, dramatically yeah. at when, when i say assaultive i i don't i mean that in, in the best way like be, because it's putting you directly for me anyway yeah. in the headspace of that character because you're tracking the arc of this this young man uh basically like to the point where he ruins his life um someone described it as the first half of this movie wounds you and then the second half heals you yeah put you back and together yes it, i was gonna say it, that it, it focuses uh, in the second half on the sister after this traumatic event happens and this, the filmmaking slows down. The camera work gets more dreamlike. Uh, the soundtrack sort of slows down too and fades into the Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score. Um, and it, it's, it's softer. It's gentler. The, the aspect ratio changes. Like I love the use of like this sort of aggressive filmmaking in the beginning to put you in that headspace. And then that sort of softer dreamlike, sort of montage filmmaking in the second to kind of put you into her headspace like it's right. it's great filmmaking wordlessly communicating what a character is going through i mean but pretty much everything about that second half of the film is like kind of gorgeous because precisely what they're doing with her character because she feels this and there's so much to mind there but she feels guilt over something she didn't fucking do at all you know what i mean right. she feels yeah. culpable in some way and not just because spoiler alert some girl poor girl dies but because in a way it fractured her whole family it fractured normality it, it you know it fractured everything that could have been and so like it's a really troublesome it's amazing how beautiful that back half is because in a lot of way it's processing trauma mm -hmm. it shouldn't be as soft or as beautiful as it is there's that fishing scene which i cried so hard at by the way oh, her and her dad yeah yeah, yeah. i cried yeah. very hard at that uh and that's why i said sterling k brown is like the dude in this fucking movie yeah because such a shame he didn't get nominated for this and there were a ton of great performances last year but holy shit man mm-hmm yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And but but um unless I'm forgetting and I'm sorry cuz this we literally watched this I think two and a half weeks ago now, but yeah. it's the final shot her getting on the bike, right? Like and she's just sort of at peace and like at ease yeah, with it, which is like, also the opening shot of the movie. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's just her like gliding gently on the bike and then yeah. cuts the cuts the black, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'll say this, like subject matter aside, I think it's it's devastating. It's hard to it's hard to quantify it or, or to rate it. I mean, you know, one, we need to get away from ratings, but it's just like, it, it's a film that in a weird way evokes moonlight, but not the entirety of moonlight, by the way. It's just very, sure. there's like the picks well, and chooses. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. I, I, I would agree, like, in terms of, and I don't know if this is where you were going with this, but in terms of like, this is a story, much like Moonlight was a story that uh, a, a lesser filmmaker could have done in a very conventional Oscar Beatty kind of way. Right. And instead they made these bold, specific stylistic choices uh, to tell this story. And it ends up, instead of being Oscar Beatty, it ends up being this singular uh, 
experience. And I'm not putting it on the Moonlight tier. Like, I think Moonlight is still one of the best films of the past That's 10 years. That's a revelation, like, yeah. It's, holy shit, like seismic. But um, it, it still kind of goes in that direction for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I definitely want to see what he does next. But more than anything, I just want to see that entire cast do something. Like, I wish that, yeah. you know, well, I guess people do that. Like, people have their repertoire players, you know what I mean? Like, but that guy just needs to keep hiring those those, those yeah. four. Uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., who played the son, was great. And he was in yeah. It Comes a Night, too. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that guy does next. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, it was a really fucking good list this week. I got to tell you. Um, yeah. They all, I cried a lot. But, but yeah, that's fine. That's a thing that happens like, uh well, but i'm excited um, man because we we have a we have a good lineup for, for yeah next week. Ni- nice uh, eclectic lineup and i'm trying to move away from things that that i've seen uh and and more into you know things that i haven't um and that i've been meaning to see so uh next week i'll, I'll start us off i'm gonna recommend uh todd salon's happiness which oh, yeah. I, I've said it to you a couple times now. This is going to be a rough watch, um, but yeah, it, it'll be a rough watch. <laughs> I just watched it like uh, yesterday, and then I'm also recommending Mel Gibson's uh, epic Academy Award-winning film uh, slash comedy Braveheart. <laughs> a, I'm a excited. That, yeah, I, I need to return to for emotional reasons. I just uh, need to reckon with it. I don't even remember what I recommend. I remember I recommended Paris, Texas. Uh, by yep. Harry, Henry, well, Henry Dean Stanton's in it, and what was the other one? It was uh, wasn't Alpha. Uh, Jodorowsky's. Uh, oh, endless poetry. Uh, endless poetry. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I like that one. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, man. And th- those are not. Those are totally different. Sorry to give you some subtitles again, but you had a break, you little bitch. Uh, so you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, I think yeah. those are weird fucking movies that complement each other in a weird way. So I'm yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to be apologizing to you after this next episode for happiness and probably Braveheart too. So don't okay. worry about Yeah. So I'm playing with house money right now is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be on a, a All right. Tier so I should, so what you're saying is instead of the two movies I picked, I should do Billy Jack goes to Washington and the trial of Billy Jack instead, because that's God damn it. I forgot about Billy Jack. Yeah, no, what, uh, you, you still got some work to do Taurus, uh, but we will uh, catch you next week. Thank you everybody.